The Forum at 8 on SAFM. It's six minutes after eight. You're listening to the Forum at Eight. If you'd like to write in, three four seven zero one, give us a call, 0891104208. Because we're in conversation with a remarkable woman today. She's uh, Professor Tabello Inyokong, a researcher of a groundbreaking cancer diagnosis and treatment. And she's been awarded the Lifetime Achievement Award by the National Research Foundation. She's even been awarded a national order from President Zuma, a L'Oreal UNESCO Award. She was named one of the CEO's most influential women in education, one of the 100 dynamic women in Africa by Arise magazine, and made one of the 12 names to change the world, uh, and that was in an exhibition in Spain last year. So she joins me on the line, Professor Tabello and Yukong, a very good morning. Thank you for the pleasure in speaking to you this morning. Thank you very much. Good morning, and thanks for having me. How, how, pleasure to be here. How does it feel getting all this attention? Um, I feel honored. I feel privileged. Um, yeah, one could say maybe I work hard, but I think that maybe I've taken um, advantage of opportunities afforded to me to be able to get this. That really is an honor. That sometimes I pinch and say, is it really me? Did they make a mistake? Growing, that is an honor. Growing up as, as a young girl in Lesotho, I mean, could you have imagined this? Absolutely not. I never thought this would happen. I, I don't even work for awards. I just work because I love what I do. I love my students. I really love the research I'm doing. And if awards come, I'm very grateful to them. For Did, them. Well, let, let's take you back to the beginning then, back to Lesotho. Before we even talk about your groundbreaking research and how it's going to really revolutionize the way that we treat cancer in, in, in the world, uh, let, let's talk about your early beginnings. In Lesotho, 1951, what was life like for you when, when you were born? Um, well, I, well, you don't know much about yourself until you're about sure. to remember <laughs> anything. Um, but, <coughs> excuse me, when I was about eight, I started heading sheep. Um, so I would be in the, in the field with the boys, and you know, you are not given food. You have to fend for yourself out there in the field. And I think that's where the science was born, whereby you are able to identify what you can eat, what you cannot eat. You are able to see that boys are no better than me, though they did harass me quite a lot. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> you, yes. you, you, you stayed with your grandmother on, on, on a farm, is that right? Yes, I, my, my grandparents on my maternal side, and my father, my, my grandfather was a pastor. So because I would have to go to school one day and go and head sheep the next day, in order for the community to know if, if I'm reading and if I'm progressing well in school, I would have to read in front of the whole congregation on Sunday. Talk about stage fright. But I had to overcome it. Now, do, do, I know I read one of your, your interviews and you said to an ordinary person, all sheep look the same, but that's different to you because you worked with them so closely. Yes. They, they, we give them names. They even have names. No, the sheep are not just sheep. We, we give them names. We, a little black mark somewhere identifies that sheep. Yes, they look different when you work with them. With such a challenging beginning, how, how did you manage to break into education and, and further your education? I had a father who believed totally in education. He, he believed no, no matter what you do, education will free you from poverty. You don't get out of poverty by stealing from others. You don't get it by manipulating the system. You get out of poverty by simple education. Nothing comes for free. I was taught hard work and that nothing comes for free. And that hard work is what really pushes me through all my life. But you didn't have a love for chemistry in your early beginnings. It was actually the arts that captured your interest. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Let me tell you, all, to all due respect to all the artists out there, oh, they can talk forever. So I, I started off from primary school, I went to high school. I had good maths and good basic science education, but everybody told me science is hard, don't go there. So I didn't. I went into the arts for three years in high school. I did geography, history, and I, when I was asked to write um, a 10-page essay, I would do it in half a page. I just find going round and round on one topic is not me. With two years of high school left, I went and started the sciences. Crazy, but I did it. And what did you find when you started the sciences? I loved it. I, I, I really, really, I, I worked hard. I worked day and night. Um, I loved my teachers. Teachers are very important. The fact that they allowed me to do science in two years, it's unlike here where pass rate would be more important rather than the passion of the students. They were interested in my passion rather than the pass rate. So they gave me that chance, and I loved them. 
they really inspired in me, you know, the love of science. I even went further and did advanced mathematics. I think I like challenges. I think I like to push walls, to do things that nobody else has done. So I went further and did advanced mathematics in addition to starting afresh. Professor, we often talk about how much we need young people to get involved in maths and science at, at an earlier age and continue that education through into high school. But, I mean, for you, do, do you feel that it's, it's about the individual and having a passion and a love for maths and science, or is it about the education system and, and, and passing on that passion from a, from a teacher to a learner? The, the teacher to learner, I think, unfortunately, mathematics in particular, all of us need it to succeed in anything else. You don't have to to go on and do mathematics in life, but it, it makes your child uh, more prepared for other things, like computer science or other subjects. If you don't have mathematics, you cannot go on and do the sciences. But you can still go on. If, even if you have mathematics, you can still go on and do the social sciences. You see, it just opens your, your, your doors. Yes, it can be passed on from teacher to... But also from parents. Let's stop giving girls toys. Let's give them things that they can put together and put apart because that's how science is born. Uh, so it, it can be passed on. Mine was passed on on the fields, in the farms, where I had to deal with nature. It can be passed on right, right away from, from family and also from the teachers. And then the passion is there. Well, I've taken apart many a Christmas toy. Unfortunately, it wasn't as easy to put it back together. That is the whole idea. <laughs> That is the whole idea. <laughs> Professor Nyukong, lots of sacrifices that you had to make for, for your education. And, and I, I recall that when you had to go do your master's, you had to pay what, what was a, a very significant sacrifice. I think I had to leave my children behind. I, I'm telling you, it's a mad thing. No one should ever do it. Because I, I was going to Canada. South Africa was not open for us. So I had to go to Canada. And I had to leave my two children behind with my parents. No, it was a mad situation. I used, that is a sacrifice that I don't think is worth it. Um, for me, that was the worst. But then finally I came and collected and we went together to Canada. But even then, I was doing like three jobs at the same time. But that's me. I, being a mother, I had to teach in order to feed them and I also had to be a student. But it, it was done. So your studies started in Lesotho, you came to South Africa, you went to Canada, and then you came back to Lesotho. I never came to South Africa. South Africa was not open for us, really. I went straight from Lesotho to Canada. There is something called Canadian International Development Agency, which was funding Lesotho that time because of their apartheid situation, in order to help people in Lesotho, because our university was not for postgraduate training, in order to help them to go overseas. So I was funded by Canadian government, and I'm grateful for that. Well, was it important for you to return to your home, to l return to Lesotho, to pass on what you'd learned? Absolutely. I'm an African, and I'm telling you, Af Canada made me, in a sense that um, there was so much negativity about Africa and about African that they made me be proud to be African. Does that make sense? Mm. I, I got so passionate about Africans, so passionate about making a difference, and so passionate about making Africa not look like it's just a continent of disease, of hunger, of war, that it can be a continent of science. And this is my major mo motivation. Now, you worked very hard. You started uh, even teaching students, but then you went into research as well. Uh, let's, let's talk about some of that groundbreaking research. Now, how did you get involved in it? I, I need to actually tell the public something. The, the, mm. the danger is that the treatment is here tomorrow. It's not. When you're doing um, medical research, it takes a very long time to get it out there into the market. And it takes a lot of money uh, to get it out there. So I just want the public to be aware that research like this, uh, in as much as we are, we are making uh, breaks in, in the process, takes a long time. Another thing I want to make the public aware is that this particular method of treatment is not new. It can be obtained somewhere. I've been working with Russians on it who are already implementing it. What is different is the drugs that I have developed, which I feel will be more adaptable to our African environment. Then I can go on and see what the treatment is. Mm. Well, let's, before we get into the treatment, yeah. because I, I want to find out your, your path. Uh, you, know, you came back to Lesotho. How did, how did you end up doing uh, this type of research? Because really the, the doors were open for you to research anywhere in medical chemistry, not, not specifically cancer treatment and, and nanotechnology. 
Yes. Um, actually, it's not because anybody in the family uh, understood cancer or had cancer, no. And I must be honest, I've, lately I've been to Argentina and also to East London to give a talk saying cancer is a silent killer in Africa because we don't talk about it. We don't know it as much. So I didn't know much about it, but I like light. I like laser light. And I was working, I was doing research on laser light. And I just wanted applications for it. And then this became such an exciting way to use laser light. Um, and then I didn't do this research for a long time because I had no money. And then one night, uh, somebody from uh, National Laser Center called me and said, would you like three million rounds worth of lasers if you write a proposal? I thought they were joking. <laughs> That's when I began to do this research. So it's only early 200 that I sincerely began to do this research. I didn't have money to do it. 34701, if you'd like to SMS us, you can also call us on 0891104208. This morning, in conversation with Professor Tabello Inyokong, a distinguished professor of medical chemistry, nanotechnology, and a researcher of a groundbreaking cancer diagnose, uh, diagnosis and treatment mechanism. It works with light. She's going to tell us how it works with light, because it's called photodynamic therapy. How exactly does it work? Uh, she's going to be explaining that to us. And uh, she does caution, though, that this treatment is not currently available uh, in South Africa. It's still in the research phase. It takes a number of years before uh, it can be put out uh, into the general public. But really, the idea is that this research could revolutionize the way that we treat cancer. It could actually take away the the need for chemotherapy or even radiotherapy, which has been rather painful uh, and can leave uh, the patient in a rather debilitating condition. So we will be talking to her about this, what she plans to do with the research. She's now looking for someone to buy it because she wants to go back into teaching students, which is her first passion. So uh, give us a call or write in an SMS, 34701, approaching 18 minutes after 8. We'll take a short break before we get back to Professor Nyokong. Dear South Africa, every year 14,000 people perish on our roads. In simple terms, 40 people will not make it home today. Surely that cannot be normal. After all, a road death is not a normal death. We all have an opportunity to play our part in the fight against road carnage by obeying all the rules of the road without exception. Be part of the decade of action for road safety. Aim to save a life. A message of the Department of Transport. Working together, we can save millions of lives. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Approaching 20 minutes after 8, you're listening to The Forum at 8 with myself, Darshan Mudley. Professor Tabello Nyokong joining us uh, from our Durban studios. Uh, Professor Nyokong, thank you so much for, for your time again this morning. Uh, how did you end up in Durban, by the way? Uh, we know you're from Grahamstown, is that right? Yes, I'm from Grahamstown Rose University. I'm visiting my son in those rare moments of holiday. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's hot here. Ay, ay, ay. Well, I'll, I'll find out this evening. I'm, I'm heading down to Durban myself to, to visit family and friends. So I'm, I'm on leave from today, uh, so our last show. And we decided that we would go out in style with you, Professor Nyokong, because really, let's, let's get into that research now, which, which is quite spectacular. How, how does it work? And, and, you know, maybe just give us the basis of it so that we have a, a good understanding of, of how you found this treatment methodology. You know, I always say, particularly when I you know, teach learners in school, just imagine, many people haven't seen cancer, but just black spots on the skin, sometimes it can be very bad, huge cancer. Just imagine that cancer, maybe on top of your palm, of your hand, okay? We can easily take the dyes that I make, which are really the same as the ones that in the blue jeans, except we are chemists, we are designers, we design them differently so that they can see cancer. We just put it on the cancer, then you put red light. And, and learners will know why red light is because red light can go through the body. No other light can go through the body. Mm. You put red light on that cancer, what will happen is that the dye absorbs the light and the dye gets excited. By excited means it is more energetic. Mm. And in that energetic state, it generates radicals, uh, it generates those, those species, toxic species that can kill cancer. Remember, radicals are the ones that make us age. We hope they were not there. So they can also kill cancer. And the toxic form of oxygen called singlet oxygen also kills cancer. So it's simple, as simple as that. But if it's inside the body, uh, the cancer is inside the body, it has to be on hollow organs where we can, where oncologists, not me, can direct laser light through fiber optics to the particular point where the cancer is. 
and also if it's on the head or on, on, on the surfaces, that's when we, we can treat it. The way it works is that if instead of going for chemotherapy, say, say after surgery, you use this because it's specific. The laser light will only go to cancer. The dyes, we design them to go only to cancer, so it doesn't kill the rest of the body. Are there any side effects from the treatment? The side effect is that if any part of the drug goes onto the healthy body, your skin becomes sensitive. It's like your sunburn. So you have to stay in the dark for a while to avoid, to avoid, to avoid that sensitivity. No, Professor Nyakon, so it's, it's just as simple as the blue dye found in, in, in jeans, but you say it's modified slightly, and, and then shining a red light on it? Yes, oh, but you have to put it in the body. If, if, if uh, the, the cancer is within the body, we, you then have to inject the patient with the dye. We design the dyes such that they accumulate mainly in the cancer. For example, we can put estrogen, so they go mainly where estrogen is, like the breast cancer. You know, we can design, we are chemists, we are designers, you know. <laughs> we can design it. And, and then the dyes also emit light, so we can see where the cancer is. Now, Professor, so, you, you said earlier on that this was a, a development on an earlier piece of research, uh, sometime in the 1970s or so. This, this was uh, first pioneered for photodynamic therapy, and you've, you've built onto it? I've built onto it. The major problem with the, the when this photodynamic therapy started, people used to go to the aperture, get red blood, then treat it with acids and bases. You know, red blood has him. What do you call him? Mm-hmm. If you remove the ion, it's called hematoporphyrin. So it, people used to use that to treat cancer without knowing it at the beginning. But we finally realized that it does treat cancer. The major problem with that, it goes all over the body. If it's in Europe, it's okay because the, the clouds, there are always clouds. You know, it's, it's not as shiny as we are in Africa or in, in, in the southern mm-hmm. hemisphere. So it's okay there, it, but it stays so much in the rest of the body that it acts like chemotherapy in the sense that you are sensitive, you can't get out for many years. And that this is what we are trying to build on and remove so that we have a general drug that can be applicable in our lovely continent with lots of sun. And the delivery system, you use nanoparticles, is that right? Yes, we use nanoparticles. Here, the nanoparticles, um, because the major danger of nanoparticles, we don't know they are dangerous yet in the body. But nanoparticles have a tendency to accumulate. You know, when we have cancer, our vessel system becomes very hollow. And, and the, the, the pores there are enough for nanoparticles to go in. And nanoparticles then will accumulate in the cancer cells. So it means that if you attach your drugs to the nanoparticles, it will go mainly in the cancer cells. And then it, it, it doesn't go to the healthy tissue. So it adds to the what we call specificity, it adds to the fact that you don't get the chemotherapy effect. I can just hear some of us out there going, what are nanoparticles? <laughs> yes. Well, you know, I don't want to mention the shop, but sometimes when you go to buy jeans, look at the label, they'll tell you that uh, they now have nanoparticles, they are dead repellent, you no longer have to wash your jeans. You can actually do laundry now without water because nanoparticles can do it. Nano means 10 to the minus 9. If you take a strand of hair, it's like 300,000 times smaller than that strand of hair. It's Mm. somewhere between an atom or a a molecule and bulk. It's like a few atoms together. It's called nanoparticles. They are very powerful. If you can see, gold will behave differently when it's bulk than when it's nanoparticles. So how how do you build something like a nanoparticle? I mean, I, I imagine the instruments must be even smaller then. We, building, it, it's easier to make in the lab. Well, I shouldn't say easier because my students do it, but it's easy to build in the lab. But how do you see it? This mm. is the problem. This is why I'm very fortunate, not just fortunate, I think the South African government, regardless of the bad things they do, have put money aside for science and for nanotechnology because the smaller the, the, the object, the larger the equipment. So in the Eastern Cape at Rose University, we have a very good facility for seeing in the nanoscale. We really are in an international um, uh, center whereby people from all over the world actually come to look at this nano. In the, we have the biggest equipment you can, you can think. Of course, the biggest is, is, is um, NNNO. That is the Rolls Royce of C-Nano. 
but we, we are getting there. If you have a question for Professor Nyokong, you can SMS it to 34701. Would you like to find out more about her groundbreaking research into photodynamic therapy, or perhaps you want to know how it works? You can ask your questions, 34701, or give us a call during the program, 0891 just like Sagan Randberg has done. Say good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much, Darshan. Darshan, I wanted to ask uh, uh, whether our hospitals can cope with new uh, uh, new treatments of this caliber when, when, when they cannot administer the old existing, long existing treatments. I had a young mother of a, a, a child about two years old who, who had to die of cancer because she found it impossible to access uh, our prime hospitals, uh, Charlotte Moteke, our main Johannesburg hospital. She found it impossible to access it for chemotherapy. Uh, she had to wait for ages. I had to go to a private doctor to, to, who, uh, who looked at her and she had painful breast cancer and he wrote a note for me to give to the doctors at, at, at Charlotte Makeke to get her a quick entry and she failed. I, I was incapable of, of getting access for her. She had to wait and wait for a long time and, she, and eventually she ended up dying. Uh, but it wasn't that well, I don't know. The period was about two months or three. I don't know exactly what it was anymore. But this mm. is a very recent event of, of two years ago. Thank you for your call there, Sigan Randberg. Professor Nyukong, the, the cost and the difficulty in administering this type of treatment, should it be implemented in our hospitals? How, how easy would it be to do? It's not going to be easy, but I agree with the, with the caller that, you know, if the, the current systems should at least work. But we are not going to wait for the current systems to work. We cannot let behind the rest of the world in cutting edge mm-hmm. way of doing things. I have tried to actually implement this nationwide, um, but, but I was working with my Russian colleagues using their, we call them protocols. Um, the difficulty is it has to be in a research hospital. Those who will be more interested in it because they are gaining new knowledge. Ordinary doctors, you know, want to administer medicine and move on, you know, in all due respect. Mm. But in research hospitals, I found, were more willing to work with me because they, they also want to learn new things. How, is, how difficult is it for them to learn this then? If, I mean, if it were to be implemented in some of our hospitals, research or otherwise, I mean, how difficult is it for them to acquire the knowledge to be able to administer this? It, it is not difficult at all. Um, the major difficulty is you use lasers and lasers need maintenance, but I had already talked to the National Laser Center who were prepared to be involved in the maintenance and issuing of lasers. So the whole country is, is willing once we can you know, get the, the drug going. And, the, and cost, the cost of those lasers, would it be free? Would they be able to issue at free? The start, at the start, the National Laser Center, they have a loan system where can they can loan it to whoever oncologists or hospitals or whoever are interested. But it has to be research hospitals, not ordinary hospitals. I mean, is is it possible for it to be available in South Africa in the foreseeable future? Uh, It is possible. Look, patient by patient, you can go to your doctor and actually say, I would like to try this treatment I had on the radio. And the doctor can read. You, You can get on patient by patient, not globally. You can get a particular drug from my colleagues in Russia or, or somewhere else. You can get that particular drug uh, delivered. And lasers are available. Um, that's why we use them for our eyes anyway, you know, already. So mm-hmm. I think it can be done, but it, it, means, it needs a doctor who's really interested in finding out about this new way of doing things. Professor Nyokong, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, she's going to continue conversation with us up until 9 o'clock, so do stay tuned. If you have any questions for her, 34701, or give us a call like Sigurd's done on 0891 Right now, your news headlines with Aureli Kalinga. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. The Forum at 8, I'm Darshan Mudley. Thank you very much for joining me today. My last one for uh, 2013. I'll be back with you in 2014. Uh, and uh, I must say thank you to um, Bongi and Elvis. And I think Ike is also going to be in combination with the three of them uh, helping out to produce uh, and present AM Live over the next two or three weeks as I'm away. Uh, but back with you on the 13th of January. Today we've got a very special way of, of ending off uh, my program for you with Professor Tabelo Inyukong, a distinguished professor of medical chemistry 
nanotechnology research of a groundbreaking cancer diagnosis and treatment. Uh, and she's been talking about it uh, over the last half an hour or so. And she was just talking about the availability of it and how we could perhaps source this type of treatment in South Africa. I mean, is it possible? Professor Nyukong, I mean, you, you talk about your Russian colleagues who are the ones able to distribute some of the, the treatment. But if, if we were able to source it, would we be able to, to, to get the treatment in South Africa? Um, the, the, the major problem is that you need a drug, you need laser light, you need to know how long you should uh, keep the patient before you, you inject the, the, the drug and so on. There's quite a lot. For macular degeneration, let's start there, where the, the elderly, uh, you know, have macular degeneration, mm. it's available already in South Africa. You, not, not globally, but doctors have an idea of how to, because they have lasers that can be used for, 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 for the eye. So it's already available in that form for macular degeneration. But you have to source a particular drug, which, which is different from mine, from somewhere else. And also for the skin, there's something called ALA um, for dermatologists. They use it. It's very painful, but it's not, it's not really a drug. It's called a pro-drug. It's, it's used to build this hematoporphyrin. Oh, I'm now being taught technical. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> yeah, ALA is also available. But mm. I think patients can challenge their doctors. And just say, I've heard about this, find out about it. There is a huge um, uh, group at, at Roswell Park in the U.S. who could also, uh, you know, train the, our, our doctors on it, on how to deal with it. And the price? If we do it our way, it will not be that expensive because, look, if we are going to do it globally, we're going to have the National Laser Center involved with lasers, that price gone, and... I don't know who's going to get my drug because the way it is, the drug cannot be go from chemistry department and drugs to the people. There has to be in between where mm. we call a clean laboratory, you know, safe situation where they are developed. And that still has to happen. And that is where the cost could be. But I'll try at the basics to make them as cheap as possible. So I don't expect it to be expensive. But the, the current one, I think it's quite expensive. You are talking about dollars if you get it out from the U.S. Or, 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 or Russia. Well, I'm still curious about the reaction that you may have received to your research, Professor, but uh, let's get some reaction from our listeners now. We've got uh, uh, Goino, who's called in from Hermanus. Uh, good morning. Hello. Hi, Goino. Thank it's you very Gaynor, much. It's Gaynor, G-A-Y-N-O-R. Gaynor, I'm so sorry. I no, apologize for that. problem. Thank you very much for calling in, Gaynor. Yeah. Um, I must congratulate your guest. I think she is a miracle worker. She really is. Mm. Um, I know somebody who has, has been diagnosed within the last month with pancreatic cancer. What are the chances of him? He's being treated in the Tigerberg, which is an academic hospital. Uh, how could he go about asking his doctors to treat him with this? Procedure. Okay, no, thank you very much for your call. There. Let's take one more caller. We've got, uh, I think it's Gisela who's called in from Kempton Park. Gisela, good morning. Hi, Hi, Gisela. I'm actually German, mm-hmm. and I'm very interested in that uh, doctor that is speaking. I'm sorry, my throat is a little bit <coughs> blocked. Not a problem, um, mine too. Uh, can I get her telephone number? Could, could I phone her or get information? I want to send it to Germany to a family person. Gisela, thank you for that call. We'll get uh, Professor Nyokong. Uh, could we get your contact details perhaps at the end of the program? Would that be all right? Yes, uh, it will be for my PA. We do give people information if they require it. Yes, my okay. PA will. Okay, great. I, I haven't got a um, uh, uh, computer. I haven't got a computer. So you need I can a telephone number. Talk to her, and maybe she can fax some information to me. Okay, Gisela, thank you very much. Our producers will get uh, your number off air and give you a call back, and, and just uh, try to sort that out for you. Gisela, thank you very much for your call. But uh, Professor, I'm sure you'll be able to contact her or at least uh, pass along the information that you that she needs. Yes, I will. Okay, Let, let's talk about Gaynor's uh, question now. She she knows someone suffering with pancreatic cancer. Is there a way for uh, this individual for for him to to source this treatment? Okay, my major problem is I'm not a doctor. <laughs> I'm a chemist. I make drugs. Mm. But I can give people information about how to get it overseas with my collaborators. That's all we can do. Whether pancreatic it can be dealt with with this 
treatment. It can be dealt with. Well, then because it's hollow organs. Yeah. Clearly, you'll need a, a partner. He'll need a partner, a, a doctor who who is willing to administer the treatment. Now, are there doctors in South Africa who you're working with, or at least ones that that he could find? Um, the 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 teaching hospitals may be willing. I don't want to give names out. The teaching hospitals may be willing to deal with this. Um, maybe willing to, because it's research for them. If the, the patient just goes to the doctor and say, I've heard of this called, thing called photodynamic therapy, you better tell it to the uh, listeners again. Mm-hmm. And, and the doctors should be able to find it if they're interested. Otherwise, you see, I can only give them the centers that can deal with it. Using the drug that I say is it's a bit dangerous, but if people are in danger, what can they do? Why can't well, let's why not talk about the the hospitals where they can go to the research centres? Um, would it be inappropriate for you to mention the names? The, no, medical hospitals include UCT, includes all medical all medical hospitals that universities have not medical hospitals, <laughs> research hospitals. Mm-hmm. Universities are have attached to them research hospitals, and so and, and u- universities like UCT have such. People can find that out very easily. Mm. Uh, have you had uh, quite a bit of reaction to your research so far? My research has been maybe this is where the awards come from, isn't it? Isn't that a reaction enough? <laughs> the reaction has come through the awards. You know, as scientists, we are very cautious. I'm very cautious to promise people things like mm. this treatment will be available tomorrow. It will be globally available here. Um, so we, 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 we are cautious. We don't want to promise things that we can't promise. And as I'm not a doctor, so I have to be careful what I say. I do not want to promise people and say this can cure this particular cancer. I know really that it can cure hollow organs and, and cancers on the surface and small cancers. And it can be dealt with after surgery rather than chemotherapy. Well, Prof, I'm sure you engage with doctors though on, on an informal basis at least. Informal I mean, basis, yes. what, what, what do they say to you about this research? I mean, you've explained it to them and how it would work. I think particularly the oncologists, they, for, for AIDS in South Africa, though I, I hate going there, the, 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 the main thing is it would really be such a useful way, of, because many people who suffer AIDS also suffer skin cancer. It would be such a useful way because it can easily be applied to all clinics in the country, whereby you can just, you know, put the drug onto the skin, and, um, and, and put the laser light, not, it doesn't even have to be laser light, it has to be red light only. It can be done. But you cannot touch a person in this country. This is what the listeners have to understand. There is a medical control council that controls every medicine that touches you. So it, it, every medicine has to go through all the rules and all the regulations in the country. It's not as easy as going from me to the patient, no. Hmm. Prof, I mean, do, does it work on all types of cancers? I, I got this question uh, on SMS as, will this new treatment treat aplastic anemia, which is the bud, a blood bone marrow disorder? I mean, w- would it treat that and other types of cancer? Or perhaps no. a better question is, are there other cancers that it won't treat? No, it will not treat all cancers. Cancers like, like those that are, the, 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 the listeners mentioned are too circulated. Cancers have to be specific for this treatment to deal with it. Hmm. Once it's spread out, no, it cannot. And it can only treat very small cancers uh, or after surgery because laser light can only penetrate about three centimeters. So any cancer larger than that will not be treated. It has to go through surgery. So no, it does not deal with everything. It's just an alternative to chemotherapy to just avoid people you know, suffering from chemotherapy. Matala is called in from Durban. Good morning, Matala. I want to congratulate my sister, the for bringing Africa back into the light. Africa between the 6th and 15th century was a leader in science and everything in Timbuktu. And she had brought back Africa. I want to congratulate her for that because we forget what Africans were. They were leaders in science and everything. When the Europeans now were far behind in the dark ages. And she is bringing us back to that state. Therefore, I would congratulate her and say, wonderful job. Carry on, my dear sister. Matala, thank you very much for that. Uh, Prof, I've also got more... I would like to comment on that one. Please do, please, yes. Yes, I'm happy somebody in Durban, maybe we could (laughs) meet. (laughs) But I really want to tell the listeners that, okay, this is my passion. My passion Mm. is to make sure Africa is there. But there's a paradigm shift. As South Africans, we are so negative about ourselves. 
we do not even see the goodness in us. There's a paradigm shift whereby people want to come to us to learn science from us. And I want all people out there to know that things are changing, things have changed, and thanks for the policies that we've put in place for science. Mm. I I heard you, do do you identify yourself as a South African? Let me tell you, it's a long story. I'm a South Mm. African. My parents, I was born in Lesotho because my mother is from Lesotho, but my parents are from Shabdil. So after Shabdil's massacre, they went to Lesotho. It's as simple as that. So I am South African, but grew up in Lesotho. Well, there's, there's more congratulations that come in. Uh, Anne in the Western Cape says, I can say that uh, this prof is truly an inspiration. Eddie Tobala in Udendalsris writes, The professor deserves the Madiba branding from Lesotho to greater heights. My hat is off. May God bless her. And CK writes in, Professor Nyokong is an inspiration to all of us, but more especially to women here at Rhodes, a brilliant teacher and a mentor. Thank you, prof. Do you know who CK is then, prof? No, who is CK? <laughs> I don't know, but, but CK definitely seems to know you. Oh, gosh. One of my <laughs> students, probably. <laughs> well, I mean, let's, let's talk about that. We've talked quite a bit of the research. I mean, if there are more questions, you can write in those questions about the research, 34701-891-10428. But you're, you're trying to sell the research. Now, you want someone to buy you out so that you can go back to, to what is one of your bigger passions, right? Yes, my students. <laughs> Teaching and my students. You know, in... in in, in, in where, where there are lots of chemical um, pharmaceutical industries, if somebody is interested in what you are doing, they would then take it and, and, and develop it further. So I have done the research part. The development part needs someone else. But I'll work at it. It, it can't be through your media. I'll have to work at it and find a development partner who will help me, you know, get on with it. Mm. But I want to spend my time teaching young people the discipline of hard work, the integrity that goes with it. We need leaders. Um, we need people. When they get to the doctoral level, they are leaders. They must lead with integrity. So I don't just teach them chemistry. I teach them to think. We need thinkers. We need people who will lead this country because they can think for themselves. And that is my major passion. Do you know how you would sell it? I mean, would, would you give up entire, you know, would, would you no longer be a custodian of the research or be able to give input once you've sell, sold off the, uh, the idea? No, you, they have to come back to me. If, if it doesn't work as well as I said it would work, they still have to come back to me to modify it. There has mm. to be a dialogue. What, what do you estimate the value of it could be? For me, the value is I, I want something that can be globally, not concentrated in hospitals. I want something that can villagers can access in the long run. Is there, is there a price tag that one could put on a piece of research like this? Well, I think I've already spent so much money on the government. I always <laughs> say to my students, you know, we have to work hard. We have to remember that there are people eating out in the beans there. <clears throat> there are poor people out there. So I have been already privileged to taking so much money from the government to do this, and I want to deliver. I've just been given a lifetime achievement award, and I said to them, this is just the first lifetime. In the second lifetime, I want my product in every corner of this country and beyond. So, so no prices yet for, for what it could be worth to someone prepared to develop this? Well, well I, I don't know how this thing will work. I, I will discuss it's millions of rands. Mm. But it means they must want it. Mm. We are looking at at least 50 million rands or more. So going back into teaching then, going back to your, your passion for teaching students, isn't that going to feel less exciting perhaps than, than this exposure that you're getting right now for, for this groundbreaking research? You know, I want this exposure to come to my students. That's how passionate I am about them. Because I think they are the ones. I don't work alone. Even though I get all this exposure, it's not, it's not me alone. It's me with my students. I'm just the driver. And I want them to get the attention. SABC will have a... a, a oh, I'm advertising myself, am I? <laughs> they they filmed us. I think in March there's a TV program about us. And it's about these young people, their passion. And... The younger ones in high school see them more as role models than I am. So I'm creating role models for role models. What are your thoughts about the future of South African science? You, you heard Matala there talking about, you know, back in the 6th and 7th century, you know, Timbuktu Mali was, was sort of that, that cradle of knowledge at one point. But, I mean, are, are we heading back there? And, and is South African science on that track to doing that? South African science is really, at, at, for me, is at the same level as European science or, or, or name it. Really, it is in some areas. 
um, you know, we do searches. You know, for example, we look at our chemistry at Rose University or UCT. We normally compare ourselves. You'll find that we are ahead of so many other countries all over there. The problem is that when we make policies like we made it for nanotechnology, we must stick to it, and we have stuck to it. We made a policy about research chairs, which is what I have. Which they, they, you, your job is to do research, and we must stick to it. You know what? What next problem is if we then change our minds midway? I think we are in, uh, on the right path. I just hope if governments change, this do not change. So your program, please tell government to keep on the right track, not to change because government changes. Or you know, that is my worry. That's mm. my only worry. Are, are we are we retaining the knowledge and the scientists that we produce? Now we are having brain games. There was a time we were losing people mm. to, to the rest of the world. People are now coming back. And let me tell you, our young people don't even want to leave in reality because they have what, you know, what they, they, they want here. I tell you, I have a program whereby I send, whether they like it or not, actually, I send all my students, if I can afford it financially, to laboratories all over the world. I want them to come back loving their country. They come back and realize, actually, we've got it good here. Mm. Uh, do you find that there's there's a lot more students interested in, in taking up maths and science, and, and is there space at the university for them to do so? We we don't have enough students who have maths and science background. We don't. That's the bottom line. We actually sometimes take students who don't have the science um, and, and teach them at university. So our, our schooling system needs to improve. I, it's always nice to blame, to, put, to, you know, to put fingers and say the schooling system and so on. But I'm just talking this positively, that math and science is important. And your child does not have to do math and science at school, at, at university. They can go and do other things. But when an emergency arises, for example, if we need more engineers, if we had more learners who had done math and science at high school, we can pull on them regardless of where they are. And they're easy to train. Well, what advice would you give to them, especially if they say the things that, that you were told when you were younger, oh, maths is difficult, science is very technical, and, and perhaps, you know, people use the gender argument as well. No, you're a woman. You don't, you know, really need to go into maths and sciences. Better professions for you out there. I would just want to say I hate pass, the word pass rate. Mm. Because pass rate is what? Um, you know, if we, if many learners are discouraged to do maths and science in order to improve pass rate. I'd rather have a low pass rate than have a lot of math and science. But it's, it's difficult because even in very advanced schools or rich schools, if I can call them, you find there are not enough math teachers. But we shouldn't put that as a major problem. I don't like problems. I do not like always pointing out problems. Learners themselves should group together and learn. We have a math and science club at, at Rhodes University, which my department runs for the township schools whereby grade 7 and up can come. And they can come and we can... My, my students have been advantaged, so they must also go and give knowledge to others. They can come and learn math. If they don't have good teachers, that's fine. They can come and learn math in those areas. So never sit down and say, I don't have a good teacher, and that's it. Well, let's read more SMSs, and these have come in for you, uh, Prof. Uh, from Mungero in Welcome says, uh, As a father of a girl who shows signs of brilliance, I'm motivated by this program, says Mungero. And I, I, I guess what he's saying there is he's motivated by you, Prof. Uh, Billy Jean writes, and thank you, such an inspiring talk. I can just imagine how amazing Prof Inyokong is. As a lecturer, I'm sure you are. I wish I was in your classes. Uh, <laughs> Santo writes in, uh, Professor Inyokong, congrats for your outstanding achievements and global recognition. We were both Lecturers at the University of Lesotho in 1980s. Do you remember Santo? Yes, 1980s. <laughs> <laughs> a long time ago. Uh, this is another SMS for you, also unsigned. Uh, what is the prof's take on students wanting to do medicine or science, but universities not having enough space for them? You know what? Um, I, 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 I don't think there's no space for students wanting to do science because I'm in it. That is not possible. With medicine, I know they have limits. They have quotas and so on. But often, you know, I, I don't know. Often I've seen students come to do BSc and then go and do medicine to improve on their whatever qualifications, whatever the case may be. But science, we don't have enough. I'm sorry, we don't. Mm. I mean, do you feel that our, our schools are doing a good enough job to prepare these students before they enter university? I mean, the crop of students that you'll get in the coming year, are they going to be well-equipped to deal with that first year of science, chemistry, or, you know, uh, biology, perhaps? No. 
that's no our school system um is failing us i really need to be honest about that mm-hmm. um in in the sense that many learners really struggle you know to to cope with math and science if they even do it oh the school system as a whole is, is failing us whether it's math or science or not students need discipline they need to be on time in school, all those things. Teachers need to be in classroom, you know. I'm talking like a minister at the moment, mm. <laughs> but, but, but that is a problem. We still get learners coming in. We, every, every university try to source those learners with science at the top and so on to our schools. We, we are competing for a very small pool because they are not there. Prof, so what does the future hold for you? Perhaps a, a ministerial position, as you hinted there, or, or are you going to be doing more research? Is there something that uh, is, is on, your, uh, on the horizon for you? There's one thing that I don't like. It's called administration, and being the minister for me is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will not do administration. I really think what the, one of the mistakes we did as a country is that every time a, 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 a good scientist comes up, it, they are sucked into administration. They disappear into this big hole. So young people have no role models, you know, who they can see, who are real scientists on the ground. And I want to stay there. Let's take one final caller for you, Prof. We've got Eric from Toyando. Good morning, Eric. Morning, and How are you? I'm good this morning. Go ahead. What's your thoughts? Yes. My question is, uh, is there any relationship between uh, the research you are discussing about and the medical physics? And is it there? How to get into the system? Sorry, okay. the, the relationship between the the the, the research medical, me, me, medical physics, medical physics, and uh, the, the 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 discussion uh, the, the the you are your guest uh, is uh, talking about. All right, Eric. Thanks for your call, Prof. I didn't understand the question. I'm not sure if I got it either. He says, is there a relationship, from what I understand, with the medical service and the, and the research that you're doing? I, I was assuming that he was talking about, uh, I think he, my producer says medical physics and, and the research that you're talking about. Well, the research that I'm talking about involves physics because they are lasers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it involves biology and it involves chemistry. So it involves all subjects. I wonder if he's not talking about medical aid. I don't know. Mm. Medical physics is involved. Well, Prof, before I let you go, um, Gisela asked for, for contact details, and I'm sure there's others out there with that same question. How, how do we contact you, and, and how do others who want to know more about the research and the treatment? Okay, um, they can call my PA 046-603-8801. And who do we speak to? Gail. Gail, okay. Gail is on leave until mid-January. Okay, I'll repeat that number for you towards the end of the program, but just once again, 046-603-8801. And this yes. is at Rhodes University? At Rhodes University, yes. So I imagine if they go through Rhodes University, switch If they go through Rhodes University, they'll find me anyway. Okay, great. Prof, just your, your final word for us this morning? I think my final word will be to the young people. You know, n- not to believe that they, they should not be discouraged from doing science. I'm, I'm sorry, by, even mm. by teachers, they should do it because it will open doors for them. You don't have to then do science in, in, in university, but it will just make your career so much better. Make an effort to find centers around your area where science or math is being dealt with. Please do it. Professor Tabello in Yokong, I'll see you in Durban tonight. Thank you so much for joining us this <laughs> okay, morning. Okay, thank you. I really appreciated your time. A distinguished you professor of medical chemistry, nanotechnology, and researcher of a groundbreaking cancer diagnosis treatment. It could replace chemotherapy and radiotherapy in the future. Five minutes to nine. We end off the Forum at 8 this morning with, on this Friday edition with some music from Lyra featuring the Soweto spiritual singers, Something Inside So Strong. Take my rights away The fact
Just look them in the eyes and say 